Rattled and Shook is released weekly, every Thursday, and brought to you absolutely free. But if you want to listen ad-free, subscribe to Tenderfoot Plus at tenderfootplus.com or on Apple Podcasts. You'll also get exclusive bonus episodes. For more information, check out the show notes. Now, enjoy the episode. And now, presenting Rattled and Shook. Hi, I'm April. And I'm Meredith. And this is Rattled and Shook, a podcast where we tune into scary stories and discuss our deepest, darkest fears, but in a fun way. Mm hmm. Yeah, I liked the first way you said hi. Really? Yeah. <laughs> like Ross? Hi. On Friends? Oh, it was like Ross from Friends. Hi. And speaking of dysfunctional relationships <laughs> that I love on TV, <laughs> great segue. I. I'm very excited today to ask you about your guilty pleasure dysfunctional relationship from TV, mm-hmm. books, movies, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. anything. Fan fiction. Ooh, fan fiction. I won't judge. Um I'll go first if you're if you need to think. I do have one in mind, but yours is such a, a classic. It's such a classic. <laughs> Mine is just I'm just burning to say mine. <laughs> Um, I'm Meredith, and I'm a recovering Twilight girl. Hi, Meredith. <laughs> thank you, thank you. I was super into Edward Cullen. Mm. I was so Team Edward. It was, it was all consuming. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so not Team Jasper. <laughs> no, not Team Jasper. <laughs> I mean, the relationship is really messed up. And if you don't know anything yeah. about Twilight, I don't actually know how but if you don't know anything about twilight um it's a vampire love story between this vampire who's obsessed with this human Mm -hmm. and watches her sleep at night yeah and he like sneaks in and watches her sleep at night and is super protective super healthy Mm -hmm. and i read these books when i was probably i don't know seventh eighth grade and i remember my older cousins, I was at the beach with them. And firstly, they were like, didn't you bring that book last year? And I was like, yes, because <laughs> I just carried around my Twilight book all the time. <laughs> but then one day they were like, why do you like it so much? And I was just waxing poetic about Twilight. And then I told them verbatim that my ideal man was jealous and brooding. Oh, God. <laughs> And they just (laughs) laughed at me. I'll never forget. They just looked at each other and just (sighs) laughed at me. And now looking back on that, I'm like, oh, I was just like, hi, I want a toxic relationship. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm looking for. But to me, that was the height of romance. Height of romance. Right. Well, honestly, they kind of, uh, for lack of a better word, they kind of groomed us for that Uh, in popular culture and books and TV and everything. Uh, Yeah. They made us want that, like, it's supposed to be, like, passionate, butterfly and stomach thing. But really, like... Shouldn't be all the time. (laughs) You know, like, soul-crushing, I'll die if I don't have this person. 
codependency, not great. Yeah, yeah. And don't get me wrong, there's still a part of me that hasn't recovered. <laughs> mm-hmm. But for the most part, I'd say that I realized the error of my ways. Yeah, I get it. Actually, I can take it a step further. <laughs> for my birthday, I had this one really, really funny friend named Grace. And um, for my birthday, she thought it would be funny. I don't know. This was like kind of when I was already out of my Twilight phase, but people still made fun of me for being such a Twilight girl. Mm-hmm. But... Um, my friend made me a gigantic rock penis um, <laughs> by gluing together like, rock, like gluing together rocks. She glued, she hot glued rocks together mm-hmm. and made like a multi-foot, very simple um, rock penis. Very, very simple, subtle, understated rock penis. Yeah, it was very uh, rudimentary. And mm-hmm. she gave it to me and was like, it's Edwards. <laughs> Because he was, like, made of stone or whatever. <laughs> Wait, what? Uh, yeah. I broke it into pieces and I threw it into our garden. I was so embarrassed. <laughs> <laughs> Wait. Do they describe him? Yeah. Do you remember he, he was, like, supposed to be hard as rock? <laughs> like, all the time. But the whole body. April, I met the whole body. I wasn't saying just that part. <laughs> uh, yeah. So. Okay. So, full disclosure, I have not read... Twilight. I haven't. Read it. <gasps> I did watch a YouTube series for a while called Alex Reads Twilight, and it was this British kid just reading the book to you with little uh, his little commentary. It's it was with pretty commentary? Funny and entertaining. Yeah, that sounds fun. It was fun, and I enjoyed it very much. I don't think. Um, <laughs> here's the thing. I was like, I'm too good to read Twilight. Oh sure, <laughs> but then, but then, but then. I wasn't too good to read the very famous fan fiction that was written based on Twilight. Fifty Shades of Grey? Yep. <laughs> so, okay. And you want to hate on Twilight? I basically locked myself in my room and <laughs> read that book. I guess Fifty Shades of Grey will do that to you. <laughs> All right. So what's your uh, toxic love story that, that you couldn't get enough of? So did you ever watch Veronica Mars? I actually have not. You have not. Okay. So she's basically a teen PI, and Veronica and Logan was the very toxic, very, in my opinion, I thought it was the hottest thing I'd ever seen, mm-hmm. you know, because mm-hmm. they like hated each other. I'm a sucker for that. Yeah. They start to like develop this weird kind of partnership. They investigate something together, and then something happens, and Logan thinks Veronica's in trouble. So he pummels this guy who he thinks is about to hurt Veronica. But the guy is innocent. So they're basically just like, my bad. And then Veronica and Logan have their first kiss. <laughs> but I was like, yes, a man who will beat up other men for me. This is the peak of romance. <laughs> Violence. Compared to Twilight, a story about someone who stalks and invades all the privacy and controls somebody. This doesn't sound, seem so bad. No, it's definitely not as bad as Twilight. <laughs> Although I did watch another show, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And in that show, Angel does all of those things. <laughs> Angel is the vampire love interest. Look, you can't do vampires and do healthy. That's not entertaining. Vampires, they got to watch you sleep at night. It's part of the deal. I'm fine with that. Just kidding. No, I, I, I'm fine. I, I'm, I'm better now. <laughs> Never mind. I'm better now. I'm better now. <laughs> Just a quick relapse for Meredith right there. But... I'm back. I'm good. The other element is that these vampire dudes who look so young because they don't age are actually 
over 200 years old, you know, getting with a 16, 17-year-old girl. Um, Every single vampire love story is like, man was 400, girl 16. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, on that note, I think we should get into some messed up love story adjacent stories. Yeah. Bring it on. Let's get into some creepy relationships. I'm into it. Not really, but let's do it. (laughs) Maybe a little bit. (laughs) Kind of? Maybe a little bit. No, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm I'm better now. (laughs) I'm better now. (laughs) My father was married to his first wife for about 40 years before she died. Their marriage was dominated by the fact that she was sick for the majority of it, suffering from lupus. Prior to her death, she was in the hospital due to her declining state. One day, my father went to see her, and she was furious with him. You're going to move them into my house. At that time, my father had no idea what his wife was talking about. You're going to move her and that little boy into my house. My father insisted that he didn't know what she was on about. Only later would it make sense. Hearing the story years later would solidify, to me, the curse that she was intending for anyone that came after. She did not look at her passing as getting out of her pain state, but rather an absence of her that would allow someone to invade what she viewed as her home. So in July of 1993, my father's wife passes. They have the funeral, he mourns, He moves on. My father ends up seeing my mother, and they end up getting pregnant with me. This part of the story is the least complicated. Now, when my father found out my mother was pregnant with his child, he insisted that she move into his home, the home he had shared with his late wife. After avoiding the situation for a few months, my mother relented and moved into the home, unaware of the scene from the hospital that had happened almost a year prior. After a couple months of my parents living together, I was born. I loved my home. It was what I knew. It was what made me feel safe. That is, until night fell. The occurrences didn't really start until I was about five. I would notice my toys would move overnight, objects would be facing another direction, but I chalked it up to me being forgetful or paranoid. I was a kid, and no kid wants to think that there's some sort of monster in their home. So I would just tell myself that I forgot, or that my parents must have done it while I was asleep. I have a distinct memory from when I was five, and I was playing under our dining room table. Our dining room table was this wooden table with large glass panes in the middle of it. There was plenty of room for a five-year-old me to sit there and play comfortably without getting into someone's way. The dining room itself was pseudo-open, and there was no wall separating the living room from the kitchen. The other two walls were a wall with a solitary window and a wall that connected the dining room to the porch via a sliding glass door. Now, I've always had a fear of looking out windows at night. There's something creepy about it. Since I can remember, I've always had a fear that I would look out and see something or someone looking back and I think it's distinctly because of the event in the dining room. 
So I was playing under the table, the lights are off in the room, and the only source of light is the light pouring in from the adjacent living room, where my mother was watching TV. All of a sudden, I saw something through the sliding doors. My heart starts racing. I know I just saw something, there's no way I didn't. I wish that I could more clearly remember what it was that I saw. But I panicked, jumping up from where I was and running, knowing I had to get into the light and away from there. I left whatever I was playing with and ran into the living room. I jumped up onto the couch, shoving myself against my mother's side while looking frantically back at the dining room. What's the matter, pal? I was either too young or too panicked to tell my mother what had happened, so she let it go. But I sat next to her, my heart hammering in my ears, refusing to move until I was sure that whatever I saw couldn't get to me. The house we lived in was your standard New England home. It was a split level that had a rather spacious ground floor, consisting of a playroom, a garage, a washroom, and spare bedroom. Now the playroom was where I would spend most of my free daylight hours. I'd either be watching TV, playing video games, or just in general enjoying a space I could call my own. But at night, this level of the house would turn from being a nice place of joy to a place of deep-seated dread. When the day would turn to night, a feeling of fear and anxiety would wash over me. If I could, I would avoid going downstairs after dark, which was difficult when I needed to retrieve my clothes from the washroom or something like that. To paint this picture, going downstairs after dark always gave me the distinct feeling that someone was directly behind me. This would only happen when I was alone downstairs, but never when there were others in that level of the house. The feeling only stayed with me until I reached the landing of the front door. My mother's side of the family is rather large, so I have quite a few cousins, a handful of which are around my age. When we were young, my cousins would come up to the house every few weekends or so and we'd have a sleepover. We would stay up making jokes, watching movies, playing games, standard kid stuff. Now my cousins would often sleep downstairs while I wandered off to my room on the upper floor. More than once, my cousins would tell me that they had seen someone during the night downstairs. My mother would laugh it off, saying they watched too many horror films and it was just their imaginations getting the better of them. I refused to believe that it was true at the time, but now I know differently. By now, I had already mentioned this feeling, outside the context of my cousin's experience, to my mother more than once, and she would constantly tell me that I was either being a chicken or overreacting but she would also follow these jeering statements by telling me to not tell my father, her mocking turning into something more serious. My father had gotten cancer and had been battling it for years. He put his all into fighting, but in the end he lost his battle. As part of his will, the house had to be liquidated and the profit split amongst his five children. So at the age of 15, I had to pack up all that I owned and leave my childhood home. I moved across state lines, arriving in a new home, in a new town, and the anxious fear that I had endured for over a decade vanished as if it had never existed. A few years after moving, once the shock of my father's death had subsided, 
and I no longer felt so close to the events that had occurred in the house, I talked with my mother about the situation on the ground level of my childhood home. She casually said, yeah, I know. His first wife was downstairs. I was floored. The feeling had been shared all along? You knew this entire time? I said in slightly stunned disbelief. Yeah, I knew. She had haunted me too. She used to come in late at night and mock me. She would try to scare me off. I remember one night she even showed up with her sister. And I told them to get out, otherwise I was going to call my uncle. That was the last I saw of her. My mother said all of this so casually. She even came in one night and destroyed the kitchen and the spare room. Why didn't you ever admit that I wasn't just seeing things or making things up? Well, your father didn't believe in ghosts or spirits. Not until he was dying himself. My father hadn't believed in the supernatural. That is, until the end of his life. He looked out those same sliding doors that I had been playing in front of all those years ago and said, those babies on the porch are so beautiful. That was one of the first indicators to us that he was reaching the end of his life. He also once told my mother that she kept trying to take his wedding ring. Who's trying to take your wedding ring? My mother had asked. The other woman, he had replied with agitation. The only people who had been in that house during my father's illness were my mother and myself, with the occasional visitor, none of which were ever left alone with my father. I now knew I wasn't crazy. Other people close to me had seen and felt it too. I didn't feel satisfied, but I felt like I could at least own my childhood fears and anxieties. But the story has yet more to it. Years pass, and now I'm in my early 20s. I hadn't thought about my father's first wife or any of what she had done to me for a while. It was behind me. I had grown past it. I began dating my soon-to-be wife, who I had known since I lived back in my hometown. We had gone to school together and had been friends for years. But she had only ever been to my childhood home once. And at that time, it was devoid of any photos of my father's first wife. This is an important fact. At one point, my wife had moved back to my hometown, living only a few miles from my father's grave. During a phone call one day, she tells me she keeps having a reoccurring nightmare where this woman is chasing after her. Now, I knew my wife had nightmares quite often, so I blew it off as just another one, and it stayed that way for months, until we went to visit my half-sister. As we toured my half-sister's apartment, my wife happened onto a framed photo. She grabbed my arm, pulling me close, and through gritted teeth asked who the person in the photo was. I remember her fingers digging into my arm. The photo was of a woman with dark hair, glasses, and red lipstick. That's my sister's mother. Why? That's the woman who was chasing me in my nightmares, my wife answered. Ice filled my stomach, and the realization set in that this was still going on. Years after moving, years after all the childhood terror, this spirit was still haunting me 
and those I came into contact with. Those I loved. I had had enough. I wasn't going to allow this to continue. I knew I had to do something. If not for me, then for my wife. I developed a plan. On a recent trip to my father's grave, a grave he shares with his first wife, I planted a bush. And as I planted the bush, I put some intent behind it. I put the intent to hold his first wife to that spot, so she would leave myself and my family alone. As I patted the dirt down, I swear I heard screaming coming from the earth. I heard rage and anger welling up from below. I know what I did worked, and I know that it may not last forever. But I also know that if I need another bush for the grave, there's a lovely nursery just up the road. That was a saga. Yeah, this was the spanning years. This is it's like Game of Thrones of ghost stories. <laughs> yeah, perfect analogy. <laughs> I think it's kind of a dick move that she kept haunting them even after they moved out of the house and the father passed. It's like, what more do you want, lady? <laughs> oh, I see where you stand. What well, would... Uh, are you on her side? <laughs> I... I don't know about that. I I like the, I guess I wouldn't say like. I romanticize the jealous ghost angle of it all. The thing that I wanted to bring up that it reminded me of is, have you ever seen Rebecca, the Hitchcock movie? Uh, No, actually. I, I haven't. I highly recommend. It's one of my favorite Hitchcock movies. There was a recent remake. I am not talking about that. Right. I heard that that was. <laughs> it's um, just not. It's You can't touch the Hitchcock one. Swing and a miss. Also, it starred um, that guy. <laughs> it starred Army Hammer at the moment where Army Hammer was um, coming out as a cannibal. So mm -hmm. um, <laughs> it was an interesting time. But really, the Hitchcock Rebecca, I highly recommend to everyone if you like the vibes of this story, because the whole story is about living in another woman's shadow that came before you, Rebecca. Mm -hmm. This new wife enters this house that has Rebecca in every corner, you know? How can she ever compare to Rebecca? You know, everyone's talking about Rebecca. Yeah. And it just becomes this, whether or not it's a ghost or, you know, just the former memory. Like, how do you compete with that? Um, I don't want to say too much, but that is what it's about, yeah. and it is so good. So it's like she's being haunted, even if it's not an actual ghost, she's still being haunted by her memory, basically. Yes, exactly. That's got to go on my list. I love it. It's one of my favorites. It just lives up. Yeah. I think what's interesting is that his plan was to plant a bush on her grave with intent. Yeah. I love how he said with intent. <laughs> yeah. I was like, it really gave um, <laughs> kind of like yoga teacher therapy vibes. Right. Um, that is very much a, a thing, though, you know, like in spiritual thinking it's a lot of it is about intention mm. i think it can work you think this can work not this specifically bushes <laughs> holding ghosts down april it's like a nice thought to have in life in general that you can like take control of things and like set intention and yeah make something happen 
I do think that's, I think there's something to manifesting, I think, to a degree, to a degree. Yeah. I think yeah. you can put some energy out there and see returns. It's almost like confirmation bias or something to me, or um, is it synchronicity? I don't know. It's like where you mm. start to see, is that what it's called? Yeah, the simultaneous occurrence of events which appear significantly related but have no discernible causal connection. Mm -hmm. It's like basically once you talk about something or something like that and you start seeing it again and again, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, I guess in some ways I think manifesting and intention can be similar to that where if you put something out there, you can start to receive it back because you're seeking it. Yeah. It's really funny how this story ends basically with the threat of this man going to Home Depot. He's like, and if you ever try to come back, like, <laughs> I'll be at Home Depot. Got plenty of bushes to plant. You want to act up again. Let it be known. Did you ever watch Supernatural? <laughs> Not really, no. It's two brothers who fight ghosts. And usually they use like a sawed off shotgun and some rock salt things like that. I'm like, what if Supernatural was just them planting bushes on graves to <laughs> eradicate ghosts? Ghost fighting gardening show. Just like Dean being like, yeah. <laughs> I'll be going to Home Depot if you act up. Love it. My dad was always going to Home Depot. Yeah. And he did buy some, you know, tools and plants there. So I don't know. Maybe I have like a thousand ghosts behind my house. I mean, did you have a bunch of bushes planted in the backyard? Sure. Yeah. I'll probably never ask. <laughs> Don't. And now, a word from our sponsors. Do you ever wish you could become a detective and help find the clues to the case? How about all of that in a mobile game that you can take anywhere? In June's Journey, each scene leads to a new thrilling storyline. Uncover the mystery of June's sister's murder and find out about scandalous family secrets. The gameplay lets you find hidden clues as you investigate a murder mystery. Escape to a bygone age of mystery, danger, and romance. Let your imagination run wild when decorating your island estate and collect scraps of information to fill your photo album and learn more about each character. Whether you're craving a good mystery or looking for an escape, you can immerse yourself in the world of June Parker. June's Journey is a hidden object mystery game with a captivating detective story taking you back to the glamour of the 1920s with a diverse cast of characters. Each new scene takes you further through a thrilling murder mystery story that sets the main protagonist, June Parker, on a quest to solve the murder of her sister and uncover her family's many secrets. I travel so much while working that I personally love to play it while sitting around airports with all that free time I have. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Okay. Let's play another story. I'm a newlywed. We'd been married less than a month when I woke up at 5.30 a.m. next to my husband's sleeping form and saw a notification on my phone. 
It was a text from him, Sam, sent at midnight. Sam, who's this? Now, I was pretty sure that Sam was stretched out next to me, snoring away at midnight. I'm a light sleeper, and it's likely I would have awoken if he had gotten out of bed or turned on his phone. Still, stranger things have happened. I figured he was playing a weird joke on me or something. I decided to play along, so I wrote back, me. Who's this? Seconds later, Sam. I asked you first. I could feel Sam pressed against my right side, warm and breathing regularly. I looked at his nightstand and confirmed that his phone was still there, dark and silent. Me. Seriously, who is this? Why are you coming up on my phone under one of my contact names? Sam. What name am I under? Me. Obviously there's some crossed wire somewhere we don't know each other. Sam. Are you in... He mentions the town we live in. Me. Yes. Are you? Sam. Yes. Me. Okay, there you go. Wires are crossed. It's weird, but I'm sure it happens. Sam. We must live near each other. What street are you on? Me. Trying to change the subject because I definitely do not want to tell this person the street I'm on. Do I come up on your phone under someone else's name? Sam. I was looking through my contacts and I saw one I didn't remember creating under the name Wi-Fi with a heart next to it. I was just curious who this is. I live on Violet Street, by the way. I went cold. My husband's nickname for me is Wi-Fi, but pronounced Wifey. It's a silly inside joke. No one knows about it but us. So I had thought. And we live on Violet Street. And we both make little hearts next to each other's name. And something about this person's writing style was so familiar. I confirmed my husband was still slumbering next to me. His phone was still on the nightstand. Someone was fucking with me. I turned my phone off, got up, and got ready for work. Later that morning, I showed the text to Sam, who was baffled. His phone had no messages on it. He texted me to test things out, and his message, hi, popped up right underneath the last message the other Sam sent to me. I assumed it was someone playing a joke on me, or maybe it really was some technical glitch, but the days have passed, and I keep thinking, what if that was Sam? A Sam in an alternative reality where we never met. My husband and I have texted each other since with no problems. I tried to put the incident out of my head, but yesterday I started scrolling up to find the messages. They're gone. I did not delete them. They're just gone. If it is another Sam in a different reality, am I there too? If I ever hear from him again, should I tell him to find me? I love him so much. I want all his versions to be happy. Um, I don't know if it's just me, but it's kind of a creepy ending on her part where she's like, I want all of his versions to be happy. <laughs> you don't think that's sweet? It's sweet. It's sweet. Um, okay. All right. Yeah, sure. It's sweet. It is quite a leap, Um, the conclusion she draws from this conversation. So I guess. Yeah. She's yeah, like, it's an interesting. She goes straight to parallel dimensions and then. 
mm-hmm. she's like, well, I guess I'll keep texting him to make him happy because that's just my husband in another dimension. <laughs> I'm way too guarded and suspicious to consider the possibility that I should just small talk with my husband's alternate personality. Right. Because maybe he might be a little sad right now. Yeah. You need to help him reconnect with your alternate uh-huh. self. You you wouldn't immediately go there? <laughs> no. Surprisingly, no. <laughs> so what did this make you think of? Well, I would be terrified by this and not for not for the reasons she comes to, but for the fact that this is a- an actual thing that happens. Mm-hmm. It's called spoofing. Mm-hmm. And people will mask their numbers as someone else's to try to get you to engage. But he did have lots of personal information. So in my mind, I would have been like, this is a very targeted phishing scam where it's like, how do you have all of this information on me? Or it's a stalker. Yeah. I mean, I think you have to be really careful nowadays with, as we've kind of mentioned in previous episodes, with AI and stuff like that and voice um, matching technology and stuff to somehow have a way to vet who you're talking to. Yes. Have a code word. They do recommend doing that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Have a password, which apparently theirs was Wi-Fi. Yeah. (laughs) Wi-Fi. That's kind of funny. I did think that was a little cute. But recently, I got like a series of text messages that I found pretty unsettling. And they start with this first one. Just tell me if you would be alarmed by this. An unknown number. You look at a new text message and it just says, is something wrong? <laughs> yeah, that I. that's creepy. That's really creepy. And I saw that. And I was like, oh, f*** off. <laughs> you people. Is something wrong? Yeah, I don't like that. That that also gives me like a is someone looking at me vibes. Right. It feels a little watchy, watchery. It does. Okay, then what happened? So then two days later, from a different unknown number, what are you doing? Hate it. And then the grand finale. Hi, Jenna. It's Karen. I got the baby shower invite. Thanks for including me. I Avi Ken dot dot dot. Cliffhanger. <laughs> Because I deleted this. You never opened it. Yeah. Actually, one time my friend was legitimately accidentally on like a party group text, like in a state she didn't even live in. And she just gave, would give me updates on like the party. So that one was hilarious because it was a big group text and she just was accidentally a wrong number. And she was like, that is really funny. They're having this party and I know all these details. <laughs> but yeah, over COVID, this kind of stuff really scared me. And one of my friends who's super into crypto and super into privacy (laughs) lent me two books. And I'm showing it to Meredith right now. One is called Hiding from the Internet. Mm. This fits your personality. It does. And I mean this only with with, um, fondness in my heart. But you got hermit energy. My friends refer to me as the, uh, the privacy goblin. The privacy goblin, yeah. Please refer to me <laughs> as the privacy goblin over hermit. <laughs> it's more descriptive and it is more accurate because it, you would have little riddles for people to like mm-hmm. access you online. So naturally, I decided to go on a podcast. <laughs> yeah. So if you're looking for April, don't look for April. D- April's not even her name. Don't look for me. Please don't take that as a challenge. <laughs> don't look for me.
And here's another ad. So we'll preface this next part with the fact that I have not seen many horror movies at all. And I've seen a lot of horror movies. And have you ever noticed that sometimes a rom-com movie plot is actually a little creepy when you think about it? And that brings us to a game we call Rom-Com or Horror Movie. We are going to describe movies for one another using maybe some vague language to keep it a little difficult. And then the person will have to guess if it's a rom-com or a horror movie. And then they'll have to guess which movie it is. All right. Hit me with what you got. Okay. Guess the rom-com or horror movie. A shy, lonely boy finds a true friend in the tough girl who has recently moved into his apartment complex. Into his apartment complex? Yes. All right, let's think. All right, a guy. A boy. Right. A boy. boy. A boy. A boy. A boy. Is that key? You're not going to get it. <laughs> Just realized. Oh, I'm not going to get it because I haven't seen it? Probably not. It's a horror movie. It is a horror movie. Hmm. And the actress in the American remake of this movie has a name with uh, three uh, names. Anya Taylor-Joy. Nope. I'm trying to roundabout ways. Should I do like a really obnoxious? (laughs) That'll make make me feel good. I shouldn't have done this. This is probably there's probably so many people that have that are like it's this. Yeah, it's not that one about the little girl who's actually like an adult woman. That's orphan. No. (laughs) Shoot, I think I'm defeated. I think I've already had enough hints. Okay, I'll give you one more. Yeah, she is a vampire. (laughs) Oh, Breaking Dawn Part Two. Yeah. Awesome. Breaking Dawn part two. Okay, tell me what it is. It is Let the Right One In. Damn it. Did you know of it? No. No, you've never even heard of it. I've never heard of it. Shit. Okay. Whoops. No, this is also good because now I'm going to be intrigued to watch these. So it's going to have the positive effect. Here we go. Okay. A man takes advantage of a drugged young woman from a powerful family who is visiting from a foreign country and holds her under their watch. Roman Holiday? Yes. What tipped you off? The drugged thing, I don't remember, but I do remember that she's like a rich girl or something, and they are in Rome. So in Roman Holiday, he doesn't drug her. Yeah. But she's on like really intense, like, I think it's, I think she's on sleeping pills or something. And then he meets her and he thinks that she's drunk. And he's like, ugh, and doesn't know who she is and lets her crash at his apartment. Mm-hmm. And then he realizes who she is. He just—he's yeah. a reporter, and he's like, "Oh, I get this is my chance to do a piece." It's uh, actually an amazing movie. I honestly think that movie is one of my favorite movies. All right, hit me. After the object of her obsession falls into a coma, a woman ingratiates herself into his family's lives. Oh boy, it's while you were sleeping. Mm-hmm. I love that movie. Okay, here's one for you. Yeah. <clears throat> a loner who supposedly rescues an unsuspecting man from sure death. Weasels their way into a family under false pretenses. <laughs> I don't think you're going to get it. <laughs> I love that we both did while we were sleeping. The way you made her sound much more nefarious. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We both know that <laughs> we both love Bill Pullman. Yes. So therefore, I guess I should have known that you would put that on here. <laughs> okay. 
A career-oriented woman is at odds with a man she finds disgusting and distasteful. Despite their differences, he champions her career growth, even agreeing to help her in her latest endeavor. Um, I'm the queen of stretch. <laughs> it's an Oscar winner. So it's not 13 going on 30. <laughs> <laughs> it's not working, girl, is it? No, but I love where your brain's at. Okay. It's, not, it's not close to it, but uh -huh. it is. I love where your brain's at. They're probably around the same time. Really? What year is that? Okay, can I guess? Guess the movie. Oh, wait, wait, hold on, let me look it up. One second, one second. Let's say 88. God damn, you're so good. Is it 88? <laughs> yes. Wow, I'm awesome <laughs> at this. It's an Oscar winning rom com? No. It's a horror movie. Yeah. I'm going to be mad. <laughs> I know. And I'm also like, I'm trying to, I want to give you a satisfaction without giving you a super obvious clue. Yeah. So the title of the movie comes from like, a conversation between the two characters I'm referencing in this description. She tells him a story from her youth and- Silence of the Lambs. Yes, Silence of the Lambs. Damn, you got it from that. That was a pretty vague clue. I'm proud of this one. A woman who is hearing disembodied voices decides to journey to a remote cottage where one night an inebriated stranger knocks on her door. A woman is hearing voices. Mm-hmm. The holiday? Yes! You're kidding me! <laughs> I was like, this could be very wrong or absolutely 100% right. Yeah. And you also like picked a certain storyline, which I yeah. like. Because she is hearing that trailer Yeah, voice. she's hearing the trailers being made. Yes. Yeah. She's just this rich editor. Okay, apparently though, you can make a good amount of money editing movie trailers, which is something I was going to try to do. Yeah, April <laughs> reconsidering all her life choices. <laughs> Here's the next one. Okay. A beautiful artist's somewhat erotic relationship with her mentor pushes her to reach new bounds. I think I'm going to need help. I tried to be vague with this one. It's good. Art doesn't mean she's a painter. Is it a horror movie? It's a psychological thriller. Okay. It's definitely categorized in that, in that category. When did it come out? <laughs> Um, no, okay. All right, I'll play that game. <laughs> um, I'm not as good at you as you at saying the exact year with right off the top, but I'm gonna go with like 2010 or 2011. Oh, Black Swan. Yes. Yeah. Woo! The year is what helped me. Damn it! <laughs> no more years for you. <laughs> I'm gonna say this one last thing. Okay. This was an honorable mention. My other toxic relationship that I was obsessed with when I was younger, Jim and Pam. Jim and Pam? It was toxic and I loved it. It was toxic? It was toxic. Wait, that's I feel like a hot take. It is a hot take. Okay, bye. Wait, what's toxic about it? <laughs> Hold on, I need help. <laughs> Wait, I think that was not that toxic. I think um, Pam and Roy was pretty toxic from the office. Right, they were toxic too. Of course, yes. Well, I mean, what's not toxic then? <laughs> well, here's the thing. It was probably reframed for me because if you watch The Office long enough, they end up ruining Jim and Pam for you. Okay, yeah, we can't. Yeah, that's the worst. There's that. But also, Jim moved to offices, then basically replaced Pam with, I keep wanting to say Anne. Karen. Karen. Then goes back to the old office, discards of Karen. <laughs> 
and gets back with Pam. I love it. <laughs> I, I'm going to be honest. I love it. That's what I want to see in all my love stories. I need drama. I need, I need, you know, will they, won't they? Will they, won't mm-hmm. they? I don't love anything more than will they, won't they? Right. That's the best part of anything. That's why yeah. every rom-com ends with the kiss. You know, the big kiss, the big get together at the end. Because the rest of it is really hard and but people like don't always make it. it through. I love the rest of it. <laughs> it's as hard as Edward Cullen's penis. <laughs> uh, somewhere in my parents' garden, there are gigantic mounds <laughs> of hot glued rocks. Yeah. Thanks, Grace. Rattled and Shook is a Tenderfoot TV production in partnership with Odyssey. Executive producers are Donald Albright and Payne Lindsay. Co-executive producer is Meredith Stedman. Hosted and produced by April Ruha and Meredith Stedman. Lead editor and sound designer is April Ruha. Additional production by Sean Nerney. Production management by Tracy Kaplan and Jordan Foxworthy. Original score by Makeup and Vanity Set. Original art by Puppy Teeth. Follow us on social media at Rattled and Shook. <laughs>